right. It's pretty hot. Does that sound? You can turn it down maybe a little bit. There you go. I won't be so worried about being up there. I hope you all enjoyed your lunch. It's kind of fun to have everybody bring the best of their best salads. And so um, thank you for all of you who um, brought food today. I really appreciate it. So we're going to get started here with our final teaching for the day. And um, there were some things I wanted to say. Oh, the candles. Please take a candle um, with you. By the way, all the decorations were done by my daughter-in-law, Haley. She has a real knack for that. So a lot of you have been asking me about the decorations. So that was all Haley's doing. And part of Haley is her fabulous Christian grandmother who made the little sanctified um, paper cards that are attached to the candles. She's such a sweet, sweet woman. And I know she's a blessing in Haley's life and has been in mine too. Anyway, Haley was calling her and asking her for some opinions or something about something and Renee or grandma or mama, you call her, just said, well, I'll just make them all for the ladies. So (laughs) she did that for us. And so um, we're grateful for her being a part of this day as well. So, well, why don't we begin with some prayer and we'll get started today. Father God, we thank you so much um, for the wonderful meal, Lord, um, the wonderful fellowship with our friends. And again, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for helping us set this time aside, Lord. And now I just pray that your Holy Spirit would fall, Father. And as Carolyn was speaking this morning, Lord, oh, Lord, I just pray that the soil of our hearts would be ready to receive all that you have for us in this teaching, Lord. I thank you so much that we have your word. It is, um, it is such a precious gift to us, Father. We thank you for preserving it for us for so many years, Lord. And um, you knew that we would need it. Um, And I just pray that you would speak to us through it now. And um, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Carolyn spoke a little bit about, I wrote right up at the top of my paper here, that, you know, it would seem that we are definitely in a spiritual famine right now, and I would agree with that. I feel like the past couple of years, um, you know, with the whole COVID thing, um, God has really used that as inconvenient as it's been and interesting. Um, God has really used it in my life um, and done a real work in my heart through that and all the inconveniences of it and so on and so forth. He's really opened my eyes and helped me to see the truth of this verse. In 1 John 5.19, it says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now, I think that we all have a head knowledge of this, you know, as Christians. Um, But I feel like, for me, these past couple of years, um, I've really gotten a more realistic view of this. To have head knowledge is just a glimpse of the reality of that verse. But I think we've lived through some things, and those things have really affected me and changed me for the better. It's really caused me, as a born-again believer, um, to really hunger more than I ever have for truth and to realize the purpose and the beauty of sanctification, which is our theme today. The psalmist says in 63, 1 through 2, My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. 
So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. I feel like God has been kind of shaking up this world, shaking up the world and allowing worldly things that maybe we have unknowingly put our trust in to crumble, to be shaken, and to show weakness. And this should be causing us all to reevaluate what's really important for us as women to be doing during the duration of our stay here. I'd like us to turn um, to 1 Peter chapter 1. This will be our main text for the day. I had some of the girls pass out some paper and pens. Um, Like I said earlier, this ministry is a teaching ministry. And um, for me, any time that I'm able to just sit at his feet and be taught by him, whether that's in my own personal time or being able to sit under a wonderful teacher like Carolyn, an older woman, um, these are times when we want to take notes. We want to um, write down things that God is speaking to us. Because when God speaks to us, it's not something to take lightly. It's something to be chewed on. It's something to be prayed over again and again and again. Because when he's speaking to us, it, you know, maybe it's a source of encouragement. He wants us to really feel that encouragement over and over and over. If it's conviction, he wants us to remember that and to work on that, whatever it is that he might be showing us. And so, um, like I said, this is a school day. And um, I encourage you to take notes today, okay? Not because um, I think I have all these great things to say, but because I believe with my whole heart that God wants to speak to you today. So let's start in the first um, epistle of Peter, um, verses 1 through 3. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, For obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. This is a letter that Peter wrote to persecuted Christians. We'll keep it simple here. Who have been dispersed. That means they are suffering great persecution and they are on the run. They are trying to flee the persecution, preserve their lives, the lives of their families. And um, we're getting a little glimpse into that in what's going on in our world. And um, it's, it's a reality. It can happen at any time, anywhere, even here. And so um, that's who he's writing to. Verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. If we've placed our trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ, we have a glorious future and a living hope. And Peter's reminding these saints of that, okay, that blessed hope that they have. Don't forget that beautiful miracle that has happened in your life, despite everything that is going on and around them and in their world. Don't forget that beautiful, blessed hope that you have. <clears throat> John 1, 12 through 13 says, But as many as received him, 
To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There is an inheritance in heaven for us, unlike anything we have ever known. I'd like to go through some of the words that are described in these verses, okay, three through five. Our heavenly inheritance, inheritance, forgive me, is imperishable. That's one of the words that he uses to describe it. Now, that means that it is not subject to death, decay, or corruption. There is no seed of death in it. It will endure forever in perfect condition. Christ is imperishable. His body did not decay, and death could have no hold on him. He is seated in heaven at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Hebrews 1.3 describes him as being the brightness of his father's glory and the express image of his person. And he, Jesus, upholds all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ's word, which became flesh among us, is also imperishable. Hebrews 4.12 tells us it's living. Isaiah 48 tells us it endures forever. And Romans 1.16 tells us that it is the power of God unto salvation. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Through it we are born again into God's kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, where neither moth nor rust destroys. Another word he used to describe this inheritance is it's undefiled. It is not susceptible to being spoiled, stained, or made impure by sin. It's free from anything that would weaken or contaminate it. It is in its own nature pure, holy, and perfect. Our high priest enthroned on high is holy, innocent, undefiled, and separate from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Revelations 21:27 says, Nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, those made righteous and holy through the blood of Christ. The, less, the next word he uses is unfading. On earth, everything is subject to fading, decay, degradation, deterioration, and ultimately death. Second Peter 3.10 says that both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Our inheritance is sure. It is steadfast. It is permanent, and it's not of this world. It is a solid rock, and the trueness of its existence is strengthened by every believer who denies himself in his own way and receives instead the blessed gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. We will share this inheritance with the greatest of saints, those in Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, which I can turn to and read to you very quickly. Some of these scriptures I will turn to because they're long, and if I would have typed them all out, I would have brought a book up here. So Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16. 
Oops, sorry. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city with them. These are the men and the women that we will share this inheritance with. These men and women had heavenly vision. If I go on in that same chapter, in verses 24 through 27, it speaks of Moses. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Again, these are the men and the women that we will share this great inheritance with. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, that if our heart is focused on our heavenly inheritance, there will our treasure be also. Now back to 1 Peter. In verses 6 through 7, It says, in this you greatly rejoice. Okay, the, the, the knowledge that we have that inheritance causes us to rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith is very precious to God. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Like Carolyn said, not just believe in him, but believe him for who he is. That he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Our time on this earth as Christians serves a very important purpose. God wants a deep relationship with him, and he wants us, he wants to use us now to reveal that relationship to others. Peter speaks of the trials in this life as being a tool to help us prove and show forth our faith. As Christians, God uses trials in our lives to cause us to make choices for him, to exercise our faith. We may find ourselves having to choose love over hate, life over death, joy over sadness, kindness over bitterness, truth over lies, obedience over rebellion. All these choices are identity markers that show forth the genuineness of our faith. Our faith is an abiding faith, and we want to be found, as he says, to praise, honor, and glorify our Lord Jesus as we seek to reveal who he is. Verse 8, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible 
and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What he's saying there is we haven't been redeemed, right? We haven't made it yet, but we believe and we know we have hold on that beautiful inheritance, okay? That beautiful gift that we've been given, okay? And someday we will actually be there enjoying that, okay? Verse 10, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. What a blessing it is, lady, to be living on this side of the cross. And I don't know how often you think of that, but it is to live in this period and in this time of grace that we live in now. It's just a beautiful thing, a very beautiful thing. Think of all those saints and prophets that went ahead of us. Okay, They prophesied of a time. Well, that time is the time that we're living in now. And for such a time, you have been born into this time. And God wants us to reveal who he is in this time. Verse 13 through 15. Therefore, he's kind of going to kind of switch gears here, okay? Um, he's going to change direction a little bit, okay? From reminding us, us of what we have, where we are at in time, okay? To what he, as an apostle, would like to see in these people, despite their suffering and despite what's going on in their lives, okay? Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. So he goes from reminding us of that blessed gift of our inheritance in Jesus to encouraging us how he wants us to live out the rest of our time here on this earth. First thing he says is gird up the loins of your mind. Now, we have to kind of, this isn't the way we talk today, obviously, <laughs> but it was in that day, it was a very relevant phrase. And so um, we need to know our history a little bit. And I'm just going to put in another school teacher little blip here. Ladies, know your history. Know your history. It will give you a greater appreciation for the country that you live in, your children included. It will give you a greater appreciation for what God has done through his people, Israel. And what place do we hold in the life of the Israelis, the Jewish people? Where are we in our time? Know your history. Know what's going on right now. Okay? In those days, in Greco-Roman culture, the loins of particularly a gentleman were belted up in preparation of battle. The loins being the center of procreative power mixed with the idea of that deep place in our minds that is responsible for establishing our actions gives us the understanding 
of using the mind in its full capacity, strength, and power. Peter is telling us to gird up or belt up as with a belt, okay? Literally, they would belt up with a belt, okay? Our full mental capacity and strength, okay? And in those days, a man would not go into battle without belting up. Likewise, most of us would not leave the house without being belted up, would we? (laughs) Okay, so it's important, all right? Um, He goes on to say, be sober, okay? And this word actually means self-controlled, self-controlled. Peter makes another reference to the importance of being sober-minded in 1 Peter 5.8 when he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. How many of us really take that verse seriously? Like Carolyn said, we need to fence the garden, okay? And if we haven't taken that thought very seriously, there is a lot of evil in this world. And we live in a beautiful, wonderful country, and we don't feel the effects of that all the time, like maybe other places in the world, okay? but it is out there and we need to know our enemy. We need to know what the wiles of the devil are. What are the tactics? And I'm not saying you're gonna spend more time focusing on the devil than you are the Lord, but it's important. Any good soldier will tell you, you need to know your enemy, okay? Um, Peter's writing to people who are feeling the wrath of the enemy right now in their lives in ways that maybe they didn't ever think would happen but it's as real to them then as it is to us now. Our enemy is real, and he is always seeking whom he may devour. And this is why Peter's saying, gird up your minds, that epicenter of all your decision-making. Be sober, be vigilant, which is watchful, that our physical presence on this earth is a reflection of a child of the Most High God. Because being a woman of God looks very different than being a woman of the world. In verse 13, um, he says to rest your hope upon the grace that will be revealed. Something maybe we see through scripture of that grace being revealed hasn't necessarily happened yet, but it's going to, okay? We know it to be true. Hebrews 6.19 says, this kind of hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, Jesus. On to verse 14, as an obedient child, he uses this as an analogy. As mothers, we know what we want this to look like, okay? And we also know what it looks like when they're not an obedient child, okay? As an obedient child, not conforming, ourselves to former lusts as in your ignorance. Now here is a do not phrase and we need to listen to these, okay? Do not lust for that ignorant, selfish, godless life that you lived before you really gave your life to the Lord, nor for the glamour that comes with it. That false sense of strength and dignity that the world will attribute to you as honorable, 
as you live for yourself and seek to generate fans by exalting self, which are actually your own ideas and opinions, they are all opposed to living a life of obedience and submission and allowing the fruits of righteousness to bring glory to our maker. He's calling us to leave and to walk away from the urge or the picture that the world has given us of who we should be as women. Verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. He's calling us to holiness. Why? Simply because God is holy. Peter is calling us to represent our Lord well. And this is most effective through holiness. Verse 17, if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. First of all, the truth is he will judge our works at the Bema seat. Were they done in holiness, in obedience to his will for us, in trust that he knows what's best for us, for the joy set before us through his word? We have a father who judges, and we need to conduct ourselves in fear of him for this sake, verse 18, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by, the tra- by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Basically, he's asking us not to take that act that our Lord did for us for granted. Don't just take the salvation and then go do whatever we want with it. He's asking us to come away from the world, to be a reflection of him, and to live in holiness. Now, um, verse 19 says, oh, in verse 19, um, I'm going to read that again. But we're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And I wrote down, I don't know that we can really understand that correlation, not that like they could in those days when they... Um, you know, before Christ, when they were offering up sacrifices, when they were giving their best little lamb as a sacrifice to be killed for their sins. Obviously, we don't do that anymore, okay? And I guess that's what I'm saying is there's so many things that we can easily take for granted um, because Christ has made the way for us. We are on this side of the cross. Praise him. Thank you, God. But there's just a lot of truths that I think we need to really let settle in our hearts um, that might not come as easily to us as it did to them in those days, okay? So anyway, it needs to be quickened to our hearts, that truth, and what that would really be like, okay, to have such a great appreciation for what Christ did because now I don't have to obey those laws anymore, okay? that, you know, to really see that and live through that would be amazing, okay? But now it needs to be quickened to our hearts by the power of the Spirit, okay? A deeper understanding of this truth leads to a deeper 
desire in us for holiness because of what he did for us, just dwelling and just thinking about what he did for us and what that really means for us should create a deeper desire in us for holiness. Now, I'd like to define holiness, okay? And for me, a great definition of holiness is found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and I can read that to you. He says in his second letter, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given, sorry, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We now get to partake in this divine nature. We can do that. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, we can now partake of his divine nature, and that divine nature is holiness. Okay? It isn't something that we conjure up within ourselves, but we do have somewhat control over his holiness in us, okay? just by the things that we do. All right. Again, in 2 Corinthians, I will read this. You can turn there if you want. It's a little bit longer. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. verse 16, and we're going to go through chapter 4, verse 2. It says, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, since we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earth and vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, 
that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. That's what holiness looks like. That's a beautiful picture of what holiness looks like, okay? Death to ourselves, but the life of Christ is being shown through us. Again, holiness is something, oh, sorry, holiness is something we become as we do what these scriptures have said, okay? We stop conforming ourselves to former lusts as in our ignorance, okay? As we escape the corruption that is in the world through these lusts. Now let's define lust. Lust is an intense, unbridled desire to satisfy our flesh. And in my opinion, it results in apathy. As we renounce, let's define that word, which is to abandon, resign, reject, stop the hidden things of shame, and not try to be a Christian amidst those things, but we completely stop doing them, okay? Um, God is going to be living through us and shining through us in a way um, that we didn't even think possible, okay? He's calling us out as we've been reading these verses. They speak of direct action that we take to purposely set ourselves apart for this beautiful work of holiness. And this action is sanctification. Now, sanctification and holiness go hand in hand. Holiness is the nature and quality of being holy, while sanctification is the process by which we are made holy. Sanctification means to be set apart or to set oneself apart for the sacred work of holiness. To be holy is to be different, distinct from everything that is common. In the universe, there is only one nature that is absolutely different from all other things, and that is the nature of God. God is holy. It is not an insignificant matter to be holy, for to be holy is to be divine. What kind of God is this? That he makes a way for us to possess his divinity, his holiness, his God-like character, while still in these mortal bodies. And what is the purpose? Back to 2 Corinthians. Um, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Okay. Um, <clears throat> First Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now I'd like to just kind of go into a study of what sanctification is and what God has revealed to me in his word about this beautiful process. Okay, I really believe, and as I've seen in the word, that it's a fourfold work sanctification is. Okay? We have the sanctifying work of the Spirit, first of all. Okay? And that's spoken of in 2 Thessalonians 2.13. It says, God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. When we choose to believe on Jesus for our salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and seals us, sets us apart for redemption. Okay, let's turn to Ephesians 1. 
verse 13 and 14. It says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And there he speaks again of that, that, you know, that possession taking place when we finally go to be with him. Okay, but this describes beautifully as well. Okay, this work, the sanctifying work that the Spirit does when we choose to believe on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now um, we are called to be holy just as I am holy. It is a command. Okay, and sanctification is also something that we choose to do. Okay. As he said that in 1 Peter, it mirrors this scripture in Leviticus 27. Sanctify yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. This is a choice that we make in obedience to God's command to purposely set ourselves apart from the world that we might be used for his holy purposes. Okay? And so there we see a second work, and that is a work that is based on our choosing, okay? We can choose to say no to worldly things, okay? Like the correlation that I made in Carolyn's teaching. We choose to put that fence up. It's our choice to say no, okay? And it helps with the overcrowding that she spoke of in the soil of our hearts, okay? We're all different. We all have different tolerance levels. We all have come from different places, and we are each responsible for our own hearts. Okay? And so um, this work, this sanctifying work, is something that we choose to do. And I don't want to go into it a lot, but I can give you very distinct moments where I knew God was asking me to sanctify myself from certain worldly situations or even people at times, certain groups. And it was my choice to respond to that in obedience or not. I knew what he wanted to do in my heart. I knew he wanted to do a work. But I needed to sanctify myself first if I wanted to see the completion of that work. And that's the second work of sanctification. Okay? So when we choose to say yes to that, when we hear the Lord's voice calling us to come out, okay, there is another work that happens, okay? And this is a cleansing work, okay? The second work and the third work are very closely allied. For when you truly separate yourself from the world, you separate yourself from sin, and the natural result of that is a cleansing process, okay? So that is the third work of sanctification, that cleansing work, okay? Timothy speaks of this in 2 Timothy 2.21. He says, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, and dishonor was the latter thing that he was speaking of, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Hebrews 9.13 says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, 
how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Sanctification can be a very, very cleansing work. And I think that's what God wants to do in our hearts. Okay? That cleansing blood of Christ, receiving that, sanctifies us. It's a beautiful thing. Sanctification is a direct result of obedience to the truth and the call to be holy. Okay? Obedience um, is sanctification. These two things go hand in hand. When we choose God over self, when we choose the covering of his blood over our sin, we are sanctified and cleansed by his truth. John 17, would you turn with me there? It's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. It was Jesus' heart that we be sanctified. And that's what we're going to read here. Starting in verse 9. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, that these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. We see in that his desire for our sanctification is what led him to the cross. But he also is our example. He sanctified himself first so that he might sanctify us by his truth. Jesus sanctified himself as an act of obedience to his father. I will read this one too. It's not very long. Sorry. In Mark um, chapter 14, verse 36. It says, when he was in the garden, the night before he was crucified, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. We need to read those things and know that even our Lord learned obedience through the things which he suffered. Sanctification was essential for him. And it's important for us too. 
Not only did his sanctification, what he did for us, result in our sanctification through our belief in that work, but it was also set forth as our example. 1 Peter 2.18 says, oh, I'm sorry, okay. I'm gonna move on a little bit here, okay? Sorry, I should have put like a giant line through my notes there. <laughs> okay, um, I wanted to lay that strong foundation, okay? We're gonna move into this verse. Um, in verse 18 of um, 1 Peter chapter two, if you wanna turn, I'll wait for just a minute. We'll read just a little bit here. We're getting into that last work of sanctification. Again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I'd like to go on here. Wives, likewise. And I'll stop there. Likewise, just like we have just read, just like the example just given to us. Likewise. It's what it says, it's what it means. Be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Not everything that we accomplish in this world will be done by what comes out of our mouths. Hopefully, more will be done by, through our actions than the things that we say. In fact, I think that we're called to that. We're called to let our actions speak. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Peter jumps right into our role as women, right after he speaks about our Lord and the example that he has set for us. I think we need to listen to that. It's very important. The things that we do are so important to our reflection of the Lord that we serve. 
So he jumps into our role and how we play a very important part in reflecting this holy attribute of Christ, which is obedience, which leads us to our fourth work of sanctification. I think this work is super important. And I think this will, um, I think you'll agree um, that it's our desire. It's all of our desire, okay? Um, Okay, in this book, I'm going to do a quick oratory quote, but I just want to be practical at the same time, and that is that um, I love this book. So here's a quick book report. (laughs) Um, This is a great Bible, Bible study tool. J.D. and I try to put good Bible study tools in our library, okay? Um, Because we want you to read your Bible, but we want you to study your Bible too. And there's a difference. There is, okay? Um, You know, when I was studying for this teaching, I studied to a degree that I don't study every day, okay? There's different degrees. (laughs) And let's just all be honest, okay? Okay? Um, there's different degrees of study. So this is such a wonderful work by R.A. Torrey. This is probably one of my most favorite books for study. It's very plain. It's written very simply. And the way that he puts it all together about the different works of um, the Holy Spirit, God, the Son, um, you know, it's just fabulous. So if you are interested in this, um, we can get them for you. They're not expensive. But I encourage you, to have good Bible study tools on hand by your nest. Who has a nest? Come on, admit if you have a nest. Thank you. My kids call it my nest. Um, By your nest, you know, where you get up in the morning and you sit and you spend time with your Lord, okay? Have good Bible study tools there for you. So um, I used that for this study. R.A. Torrey says that in the word, okay, this is about that fourth work, okay, God himself is spoken of as being sanctified by the revelation of his own character. Not that he is made holy, but that he is shown to be holy. Ezekiel 36, 23 says, and I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen which you have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. Okay, this is a work that God does, okay? Through the revelation of his own character in and through us. Again, not that he is made holy, but that he is holy. Okay, so um, back to Second Peter, when I gave that definition um, for holiness, okay, it said um, that we are able, I want to make sure I read it correctly, okay, verse 4, we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of that divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, okay? We have an opportunity to partake of that divine nature. I don't know why that makes my jaw drop so much, but that is such an awe thing for me. It's amazing. Um, 
this last work really ties it all together, okay? We have that verse um, about God sanctifying himself through his people, okay? I'd also like to read 2 Corinthians 4. I will read that for you real quick. Verse 6 through 11, when he said this, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And lastly, I want to read this one again in John 17, verses 20 through 23. After I read what I already read in John, he goes on to say in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone. He was praying for his disciples in the garden, okay? He goes on to say, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Right there, he was thinking of us. And this was his prayer. This was his heart for us. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. How sweet is that? How sweet is that? What kind of God is this? that he makes a way for us to possess his divinity, his holiness, his godlike character, while still in these mortal bodies. And why? He tells us why. That the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Possessing this holiness, that's how we can be the best witness possible. And that's why I said this work, I believe, in your hearts will also be the most important to you because it's not what we all want. It's not what we all want. We want to be more like him so that the world will know who he is. So um, that's the first part of my teaching. I wanted to lay a very, very strong foundation into this second part, okay? Now... Speaking of practicality, I'd like to get practical, and I'd like to um, really read about what he says to us in his word about how we as women can be the most effective witness that we can, okay? He outlines some very um, important and, you know, precise things that he wants for us as women, and we need to pay attention to these things, okay? This is a big book. And so when he speaks specifically to women, I think we need to listen up. I think we need to listen up, okay? 
So I'm going to go to Titus 2. You can turn there with me if you'd like. It's believed that Titus was a pastor of a church on the island of Crete, okay, a church that Paul started. He was young. He was a son of Paul, okay, Um, younger than Paul anyway. We don't have his exact age, but Paul brought him to know the Lord, and he left him on that island to pastor a church, okay? And in verse 5, Paul writes to Titus, this is a letter to him, okay, some very specific things. I'm a very, very practical person. I really am. And these things are just so important to me because I don't know about you, but sometimes I just need someone to tell me, tell me like it is, you know. Um, And so here he's going to really do that for us. And in this book of Titus, in this letter, um, he is specifically speaking about different roles in the church, okay? And so he will address women. um, But in verse 5 of that very first chapter, Paul says, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking. So for some reason, maybe because it was a new fellowship, we don't know, but Paul felt it very important. Titus, that you set these things in order. They're lacking in this fellowship, and they are very important. God is a God of order, and you need to set these things in order, okay? And our role as women comes into a certain order in the church. It just does, okay? And no one um, place in that order, no one role, is more significant than the other, But when everyone is walking in those roles and in those places, there is beautiful harmony, beautiful harmony. And that's what Paul wants, okay? So he calls to Titus to set things in order that are lacking, okay? He calls um, him to appoint leaders, okay? He gives um, definitions of their roles within the church. And then he also, in this letter, goes through proper conduct for any Christian, Okay, anybody who states that they are a Christian. Okay, he gives a specific warning to pastors in verse 9, and I'd like to read that through 11. Okay, Um, in verse 7, he calls them bishops. Okay, that's what they called them in those days. Today, we call them pastors. Okay, he goes through some qualifications that he wants them to be known for, okay, before he appoints them. But in verse 9, he says, holding fast the faithful word as, as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. So what he's saying there is, to give us better understanding today, those among the religious is what he's saying, okay? Especially those who are supposed to be religious people, okay? We're seeing these. They're insubordinate, they're idle talkers, and they're deceivers, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Know your enemies, 
be careful. They're out there, and they come in very subtly. And here we see Paul warning Titus of these things. They're going to cause major problems in your fellowship. You need to do something about it. So we see this role of the pastor, okay? Um, He has to be very careful. He has to know his enemy, okay? He needs to hold fast the faithful word so that the people of his congregation have a standard that they can compare these idle talkers to because they're out there, okay? So um, he goes on in chapter 2. Let's jump down there, okay? He tells him in verse 1, As for you, Titus, I want you to speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. He talks about the older men. He wants them to be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. And then he moves into the older women. Older women, likewise, like the older men, that means we still take into account the things that the men are asked to do. Likewise, that they be reverent in their behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And we'll just stop there for now, okay? Likewise, he wants older women to be this way, okay? Now, it specifically does say older women because those should be women that you should be able to look up to. What he means is older women in the faith. You know, we might have older women who just come to know the Lord and they don't necessarily look like that. We need to know the difference. Older women in the faith, okay? For those of you who put yourself into that category, I'll let you do that on your own. He's calling us to be reverent in our behavior and, and specifically contrast that with being a slander. So let's talk about what slandering is. It's giving a false tale or um, a report that might even be true, but it's maliciously uttered, intending to injure the reputation of another by lessening that person in the esteem of others to defame, to tarnish, or impair another one's reputation by maliciously told or propagated information. And this is my own definition of it. To even cause someone's opinion of someone else to align with yours through deceptive words. Trying to get other people to think of someone like you think of them. It's wrong. It's wrong. We need to let other people form their own opinions about other people. We need to stay out of it. We need to be salt and light. Okay? And thirdly, gossip is the same thing as slandering, okay? Just because of the way that the information is presented, okay? Now, we're all ladies. None of us is above it. None of us, okay? I'm asking you today to pray about and ask the Lord to show you areas why you, where you might accidentally fall into that, okay? That he would define it to you, what it looks like in your life when you do it. Maybe you don't even know you do it sometimes. It's very possible, okay? But I hear it all the time in the church. And so I'm asking you, as we've been speaking of sanctification, to separate yourself from that kind of behavior. Don't let it be found in you and walk away from it when you hear it in others. James 1.26 says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives 
and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. And this one's religion is useless. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And this is specifically two women in 1 Timothy. I'll read this real quick. Chapter 5 says in verse 11, um, I'm going to read a little bit behind here so we have a little background information. Um, Paul tells Timothy to refuse the younger widows for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they've cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. If any, oh, and then I'm going to stop there, okay? Um, so he talks about not taking in these young women who have lost their husbands into the fold of caring for the widows. Why? Because they're still young and strong. They're able to get married and they don't need a relaxed life of being taken care of 24 seven because this is what they'll turn into. Okay. He knew what he was talking about and we need to be careful. Okay. He knows our tendencies. We are the weaker vessel. And so I think it's important that we listen to these things, okay? And be cautious that these are things that we can easily fall into, okay? Um, our role in the church is spoken of also in 1 Timothy 1.9. And Hold on, I might have gotten that wrong. Yep, I'm sorry. It's chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 9 through 15. I wrote that down wrong, forgive me. Okay, um, so he says um, in verse 8, let's go back a little bit. I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also, in what manner? Without wrath and without doubting, in that manner, okay? As they go about the work that they're called to do, without wrath and without doubting, in that same manner that the women, okay? Without being mad about how we have to adorn ourselves, you know? That the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold, or pearls, or, or, or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a wom woman learn in silence with all submission. And I, Paul speaking here to Timothy, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. God wants us to learn in silence, without any kind of wrath and without doubting this information that we've been given. Okay, He wants us to embrace this. 
okay? Um, you'll never see me up here teaching men. <laughs> I can barely get up here and teach you. Um, it's just not what he's called us to do, okay? Um, he's called us to learn in silence with all submission. And um, maybe to some of you this seems like a no-brainer, but it isn't. I mean, I, I wouldn't be saying this if I didn't think that we needed to hear it. So, um, she'll be saved in childbearing. It doesn't mean that you're not saved if you don't have a kid. Please don't misunderstand God's word, okay? But let's admit, when we have kids, we get busy with a whole lot of other more important things than just being idle and doing what we want to do, okay? It gives us real direction into what we're called to do, okay? Now, um, let's go on, okay? Um, 1 Corinthians 14 I'll turn there. You don't have to because I don't think I'm going to read a lot. Verse 33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? Of course, women can speak in the church today, okay? In then, those days, no, they really weren't, okay? But there's a whole principle behind these words that we need to grasp, okay? A principle. And that is that we can learn from the teachers that God is giving us. We can learn all that we need to learn from our pastor. If we have questions, I'm going to go over. There are wonderful older women in this fellowship that we can learn from and we should learn from. My husband's always available for questions, and so am I, okay? Um, but what he's saying here is, um, you know, if you have a contradiction to something that you're learning, then you need to go to your husband first and talk to him about it, okay? And if it is something serious, then man-to-man, man, there can be a conversation there. But he wants the women to be quiet. He wants them to be gentle and submissive because that is how we best express our relationship with the Lord, not necessarily by the things that we say with our mouth all the time, okay? We can easily run off with the mouth and say the wrong things, okay? And I think that's Paul's heart here, okay? It isn't like Carolyn said that we are any less than men. It's just that we have a very different place, we're to reveal our beauty and our strengths in different ways than by coming against those in authority, okay? So um, let's get back to Titus 2 here, okay? The next thing that um, he goes on to say is not given to much wine. I could do a whole teacher, teaching on this, but I'm not going to. In those days, um, and it says here, much wine. And so you will have those people who are very, very... Um, well, interested in promoting um, social drinking, okay? They hype on this verse. See, they say much wine. You can have some wine, so on and so forth, whatever, okay? If you really want to know the truth, the wine in those days was very different than the wine that is drank today, okay? It was a truly fermented drink with very little alcohol in it. And the water that they had in those days was not nearly as clean as the water that we have today. And so if they wanted something healthy for their families to drink, and even the children would partake of that kind of wine, it was because they didn't have anything else, 
okay? Most families were very careful how long they allowed those grapes to be fermented because they knew it was a family drink. In those days, there's actually two words um, in the Greek for wine, okay? So even grape juice in its juice state, they called wine, okay? Um, And we know that Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach, okay? That would have been the fermented kind, Why? Because if any of you are ferment geeks like I am, know that there's very good bacteria in anything that is fermented, and it is actually very good for our digestive systems, okay? And so if Timothy had been drinking some of the water and got an issue with his stomach, that wine actually would have helped him feel better, okay? So there's a whole different reason why they would drink the wine in those days than most people drink wine today, okay? Our wine, when it's made these days, has added yeasts to it in abundance, which creates the alcohol level to be some 500-fold what it would have been in those days, okay? It's made for a purpose, and that we know what that purpose is, okay? It's not good for your health, okay? Alcohol is very intoxicating to your body, all right? I can't even drink kombucha. I don't know how many of you like to drink that, and it's fine, but um, for some reason, it gives me the worst migraine, and I think it is just a little too much alcohol, even though there isn't very much. Anything fermented does produce alcohol. That is the nature of the bacteria and the yeast. That is what we would call the byproduct, okay, of them eating all that good stuff in there, and so um, it gives me a horrible migraine. I just can't even drink it, and so Anyway, I just, I don't want to go too far into that, but um, I thought I would touch on it just a little bit, okay? He goes on to say that he wants us to be teachers of good things, and these are some of the things, okay? He wants us to admonish, sorry, admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. There we see it again, that that reflection might not be marred. We have the power to mar that reflection through the decisions we make every single day, okay? Admonish means to warn or reprimand firmly, okay? This isn't just a gentle pat on the back. Admonish the young women to love their husbands, okay? Firmly. This is what we are called to do as wives. And love is a choice. It is not a feeling. The feelings come after you've made the choice to do the right thing. Okay? We are to admonish you younger ladies, you newlyweds, to love your husbands. Okay? And it's easier said than done. I don't want to do a whole teaching on that. Okay? But if you ever come to me with problems that you're having in your marriage, which I hope that you would, I will admonish you to love your husband no matter what, okay? Um, So to reprimand someone firmly, advise or urge them earnestly. Some synonyms for admonish are reprimand, rebuke, scold, reprove. This is only something the older ladies would do, right? Because they're at that point in their life, they don't care anymore what you think about them. I do not care. This is what you need to do, and you need to just stop bawling and go do it. Okay, so that's what, that's what Titus is saying that the older women should do, okay? They also um, need to teach the younger women to be discreet. I want to go over that, okay? Discreet means to be careful, 
and cautious in one's speech or actions, especially in order to avoid causing offense or to gain an advantage. Okay, that's what discreet means. We need to be careful, okay, in how we dress, what we say, and what we do, okay, so that we might not be offensive to those around us or offensive to the Lord whose temple, okay, we are. Um, Some synonyms for that are we need to be guarded, close-mouthed, and prudent. Now let's talk about chaste. Chaste means not having or showing any sexual intentions outside of marriage. Without, it it also means without unnecessary ornamentation. It means simple or restrained. Okay? Simple or restrained. And I think that, you know, that word comes through, you know, we need to be chaste in our character. Okay? Not flirtatious in any way, shape, form through the things we say or do we need to be chased in our attire okay and in the things that we choose to watch we need to be chased in what we watch what we listen to okay we can show that attribute in many different ways okay so um being homemakers he goes in to say good obedient to their own husband's that the word of God may not be blasphemed, okay? This is what we are called to do as older women, okay? And um, it is in its nature, I believe, best done in very private and personal ministry platforms. That's where I've had the greatest success in this ministry, okay? Not necessarily standing up here in front of you all. I hope that a lot of fruit is produced today. But as an older woman trying to encourage younger ladies, I feel like I've seen the most fruit in those intimate, one-on-one moments when a young lady is just willing to come forth and talk to me about something. It is a result of outpouring of your years, ladies, as older women, of your experience doing what God has asked you to do. And I really think that there are two parts to this ministry. And I think it's best shown through the relationship between Elizabeth and Mary. Okay? There is the part of the older woman. And then there's the part of the younger woman. Okay? Now, in Luke, um, like Carolyn said, Luke is so good to speak of the women. And so we find in Luke... Chapter 1, verse 6, he describes Elizabeth. Well, he describes Elizabeth and Zacharias, and this is what he says of them. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Okay? So they were righteous before God. They walked in all those commandments okay, and ordinances, those that we don't necessarily have to do anymore on this side of the cross, but they were blameless in them, okay? And she was able to do all this and be this beautiful older woman without ever having any children. So that isn't a must. It isn't a requirement. Um, She was just simply a godly wife. 
And when a young woman came along who was in need, she was more than willing to pour herself out upon her. Now, I think it's important for us to note, because we all know pretty much the Christmas story. I'm not going to read all of it, okay? Um, But she didn't seek out Mary. But it was the opposite. Mary sought her out, okay? In accordance to accept, you know, as she accepted God's will for her, as Mary accepted God's will for her and found out about Elizabeth, she went to Elizabeth, okay? So then we have, that's the second part, Mary's part. She was the younger woman who acted according to God's heart. I think um, the angel told Mary about Elizabeth for a specific purpose, okay? And I think Mary fulfilled that purpose. She was very in tune with the Holy Spirit, okay? She fulfilled that person, and she acted according to that message that was given to her. She sought out the older godly woman to learn from her. So that's what we see in scripture, okay, as some of the most effective ministry that us as older women can have for younger women. We need to be willing, okay? And in that time, we need to be doing God's will for us, okay? But when someone comes to us, oh, to be more than ready for them. And you young ladies, seek out older women in your life. Seek them out. Don't be afraid to ask questions, um, to learn from them. And learn all that you can from them. Don't disregard the things that you consider to be old-fashioned. They do those things for a reason. Seek to really know their hearts, what lies behind their actions. Why do they do what they do? And learn the principles of who they are. Humility, obedience, and submission are the shining characteristics of of these two ladies. And at just the right time, God brings them together for a season of true, Holy Spirit-filled, feminine ministry. When it's the Holy Spirit's work, there is power, there is fruit, and the purpose of being that true witness for Christ is the end result. There's no hype, glitter, or glamour in this kind of ministry. There's no fancy flowers. (laughs) This kind of ministry is likened to the ministry born in a stable, crude as it was, and in its fulfillment is a life-giving sacrifice. If we call to mind their ministry, both these ladies gave their lives to God in full commitment. They embraced their roles of wife and mother, which produced sons that also gave their lives to God but I think we can reflect upon the stories of their sons, and we know that it could not have been easy to be there, to be their mother, okay? But they understood this kind of ministry. And we ladies cannot underestimate the need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad that Carolyn talked about the Holy Spirit. She is one of the best teachers on the Holy Spirit ever that I've ever heard. So if you have questions about the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would seek her out. She goes to the nine o'clock service if you didn't know that, okay? Seek her out. This is not the first time I've ever heard her teach on the Holy Spirit, okay? She reminds me of a wonderful woman that I've sat under for a long time who was one of Pastor Chuck's and Kay's favorite teachers on the Holy Spirit, and that was Jim and June Hesterly. I don't know if any of you know of them or have read any of their books, but they've written many books on the work of the Holy Spirit. They led many Holy Spirit meetings at um, Chuck and Kay's church. And the girls and I, when we went to Maryland, you remember June, 
She was the oldest lady that taught um, and such a sweet woman. But that was, she just had an understanding of the Holy Spirit and was able to express it in such a beautiful way. Both her and her husband were really called to that ministry in Pastor Chuck's church. So anyway, Carolyn has a real wonderful understanding and um, has really embraced the work of the Holy Spirit in her own life. And so I want to encourage you um, that the work of the Holy Spirit is essential in the life of every believer. And um, the power of the Holy Spirit that is spoken of in the book of Acts, when they were called to tarry in Jerusalem and not go into their full ministry until they were endued with power on high, okay? That's a different kind of receiving the Holy Spirit than the kind of Holy Spirit that you receive when you're born again and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, okay? There are different works of the Holy Spirit, okay? Well, that power from on high we see is one of the final works that was done to the apostles, okay, and the disciples, and it was necessary for effective ministry. And so it is important that we do not underestimate the need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you can ask me, Carolyn, okay, anytime, anywhere, all right? But it's just an asking. I'll keep it simple. It's just an asking, okay? And you can ask over and over again because the word tells us that they were filled over and over again. It's not a one-time deal, okay? So um, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? In Acts 1.8, it says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. And they were given a warning. Don't go and try and do it on your own. You wait in Jerusalem until this happens to you. Why? Well, I think that's obvious. They weren't going to do it right. I mean, they just, they're going to try and do it in their own strength. Great intentions, but the fruit and the effectiveness was not going to be there without the power of the Holy Spirit. God created us women to be a witness of who he is through his design and plan for our lives. And it's a beautiful design. It's a beautiful plan. And it's up to us to embrace this design and seek to fulfill its beauty and purpose according to his timing and his plan for us. He's given us parameters in scripture of how we can best fulfill this role in a lost and dying world. Our homes is one of the main places he wants to see this role fulfilled as woman. Oh, that women would realize the countless ways that their own homes can become fruitful institutions in raising a godly generation of men and women that are sanctified, set apart, holy, and ready for God's call on their lives. Our homes have endless possibilities for ministry in God's kingdom. Our homes are ours to oversee and manage and be fruitful in. And may they be an ever-reaching source of ministry and love in this fallen world. I'd like to read a little something to you. Another book report. If you know me very well, you know I love to read. Um, books are, have been very important to me in my life, and not just any book. Okay? I usually really put a little bit of prayer into the books that I read because um, I've been so blessed by many writers, um, especially women. Um, for those of you who know me very well, my mom left our family when I was 11. So when I became a Christian, it was very important for me to seek out older women in the faith to learn from. And 
just my pastor's wife was a huge blessing to me, but I didn't always have her. When we went into the ministry, we moved to a new town, and I didn't know anybody. And um, we had many years where I just didn't know anybody. And when you homeschool, that doesn't make it any easier. <laughs> okay? You still, it's hard to, um, you know, get out there and meet people. So anyway, God was very faithful to bring many good books in my life of godly women that I was able to read and really absorb. Anyway, all that to say, I love this book. Um, this is by a pastor. It was written in the late 1800s, J.R. Miller. He wrote many wonderful works on the church um, and family, okay? And I just want to read a little excerpt in here because when you read old literature, um, people knew how to use adjectives in those days. They did, and it's... Um, it's beautiful. I love to just completely get absorbed in, um, you know, good classic literature. Um, it, it does something for us. You know, there's a beauty in it that I feel like has kind of subsided in this world. Um, so anyway, um, I wrote down here, I'm gonna make sure I get to the right page. I just want to read a small excerpt. Okay. Um, okay. He is speaking of um, Paul's writing. Like I said, he was a pastor. And he says, in one of his epistles, Paul gives the counsel that young wives should be workers at home, as the revisers have put it, signifying that home is the sphere of the wife's duties and that she is to find her chief work there. There is a glory in all the Christian charities which Christian women, especially in these recent days, are founding and conducting with so much enthusiasm and such marked and abounding success. Woman is endowed with gifts of sympathy, of gentleness, of inspiring strengthfulness, which peculiar, peculiarly fit her to be Christ's messenger of mercy to human woe and sorrow and pain. And he, he quotes a little poem here. It says, the mission of woman on earth to give birth to the mercy of heaven descending on earth, the mission of woman permitted to bruise the head of the serpent and sweetly infuse through the sorrow and sin of earth's registered curse, the blessing which mitigates all. Born to nurse and to soothe and to solace, to help and to heal the sick world that leans on her. There is the widest opportunity in the most fitting service for any woman whose heart God has touched to be a ministering angel to those who need sympathy or help. There are many who are free to serve in public charities and caring for the poor, for the sick in hospital wards, for the orphaned and the aged. There are few women who cannot do a little in some one or more of these organizations of Christian benefit, beneficence. I'm telling you big words. But it should be understood that for every wife, the first duty is the making and keeping of her own home. Her first and best work should be done there. Until it is well done, she has no right to go outside to take up other duties. She is to be a worker at home. She must look upon her home as the one spot on earth for which she alone is responsible and which she must cultivate well for God if she never does anything outside. For her, the father's business is not attending Dorcas societies and missionary meetings and mother's meetings and temperance conventions or even teaching a Sunday school class until she has made her own home all that her wisest thought and best skill can make it. 
There have been wives who in their zeal for Christ's work outside have neglected Christ's work inside their own doors. They have had eyes and hearts for human need and human sorrow in the broad fields lying far out, but neither eye nor heart for the work of love laying about their own feet. The result has been that while they are doing angelic work in the lanes and streets, the angels were mourning over their neglected duties within the hollowed walls of their own homes. While they are winning a place in the hearts of the poor or the sick or the orphan, they were losing their rightful place in the hearts of their own household. Let it be remembered that Christ's work in the home is the first that he gives to every wife and that no amount of consecrated activities in other spheres will atone in this world or the next for neglect or failure there. I thought that was just very beautifully stated. Okay. Um, the same sin that tempted Eve in the garden still tempts us today. Okay. I'm going to read Genesis real quick to you. I just want to read her story in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die completely exchanges the truth for a lie. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And when she didn't see anything happen, she also gave to her husband with her and he ate that same sin still tempts us. And this sin is specifically spoken of in 1 John 2.15. I will read to you. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And those were the three things that brought Eve down. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, thinking that she could actually be as smart as God or know what God knows. We have to be careful. Proverbs 14.1 says that the wise woman builds her house but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4 says, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Perhaps the wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of how to do this has not necessarily built, been built into you. I don't know that it was into me either. But Proverbs 2 gives us hope. <clears throat> I'm going to read that real quick. If you're one of those ladies. <clears throat> the writer says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom, 
Apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and he is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice. He preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteous and justice, equity, and every good path. The Lord comes to our rescue there, okay? If these things haven't been instilled in you, it doesn't mean that you can't learn them. We are learning the process that we've been called to do to learn these important things in building up our homes, okay? We all live in a home. If you're not married and you're young, some of you ladies up here are young, You live in a home, and you're still called to be a blessing within that home, okay? To be that sweet blessing that God wants you to be as a woman of your house, okay? Um, So we need to search for it. We need to cry out to God for this wisdom and this understanding that our homes might be built. And trust me, God will give it to you. He will show you, okay? Not only will he teach us, but... As we've seen in his word, he will provide older and experienced women for us. He didn't expect Mary to do it all on her own. She did do it on her own, but he gave her a very good teacher, and he gave her a wonderful experience that taught her, okay, to make it through what she was called to do, okay? Our last passage for the day is going to be Proverbs 31, if you'll turn there with me. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. Um, My intention is not to do a long teaching on this at all, um, but just to touch on this a little bit because, um, oh, I wrote this in my Bible and I wanted to share this. I think it's, J.D. just read this in Psalms um, last weekend or the weekend before, and this is why I just wanted to cover this scripture very quickly. Um, Give me just a second here. Um, hmm, there, I think. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I'm not finding it. Unfortunately, um, did he just do Psalm 19? There it is. Okay, I found it. Psalm 19 was the psalm. <laughs> anyway, it says here in Psalm 19, when he read this, I thought, um, anyway, I wanted to include this. In verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. All of those descriptions, the law, the testimony, the statutes, the commandment, and the fear um, are all um, different ways of describing God's word, obviously. But this proverb, particularly for me, is a testimony. Okay? I wouldn't say it's a law. Okay? It's a testimony 
of just one woman, okay? We don't even know that this was a real lady, okay? This is an acrostic poem. Um, and if you don't know what an acrostic Hebrew poem is, is they would write these beautiful poems kind of for fun, if you think this is fun. But every line, for those of you who know anything about Hebrew writing, they write backwards. And um, so actually in this poem, every line of the poem itself would begin with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Okay, this is not the only one found in scripture, but this is one of the most significant ones, okay? So if you're writing a poem like that and you've got to start something with the letter B, um, you know, you're, you're having to think of some things, okay? And so, um, but, and yet, despite how it was written, it was put into the canon of scripture, okay? So it's important that we pay attention to it. Every time that I have had this taught or sat under teaching of this, I have felt like it was a bunch of do's and don'ts. And I don't want it to come across that way too because I don't think that's what it is for me anyway, okay? I think there is the virtuous wife. I think there's, an, there's underlying principles here, okay, that we can put into effect in our life today. That, that's what we need to pay attention to. You've heard people say you need to read between the lines. I think you need to take God's word for what it says, okay? But also, we need to read between the lines a little bit and understand what the writer was getting at, okay, within context of, it, of itself, okay? So to me, this is a testimony, okay, of a woman who models some of the attributes that we have been reading about beautifully, okay? And so I'd like to read over it today. We'll brush over and talk about a few things, but um, more than anything, um, I just want it to be just kind of a beautiful picture for us Okay, something, yes, we can model ourselves after, and yet we may not be able to do all of these things right now. It doesn't mean you're not a virtuous person, okay? But this particular acrostic poem was written about a woman who um, displayed a lot of her virtue within her home first, but then she did reach out her hand to the poor and needy as well, okay? But it talks about her heart and where her heart was and where the manifestation of all that was in her heart was displayed. That was mainly in her home, okay? We'll start with verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. I wanna make note that this was more than likely not written by a woman. These are attributes that are important to men. So important that we know the men that God has put into our lives. What do they like? What do they care about? What is important to them? And I don't know about you, but for me, I wanna be all that I can be as far as those things that are important to my husband, okay? And not all, all of that has been easy. Believe me, I've had, I'm on my knees praying, God, make me the woman that he needs, okay? And I think that we find ourselves having to do that sometimes. So this was written by a man. This is very much, I believe, a man's perspective. Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies? The heart of her husband safely trusts her. She will have, so he, forgive me, will have no lack of gain because he's the head of the household, okay? Um, we are here to support our husbands. A lot of times when I'm praying for my husband or I'm thinking about my role as a wife, I get this picture in my mind of um, Aaron and her holding up Moses' arms during that battle. You guys remember that story in the Old Testament? And that's who I want to be for my husband, 
She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Not just in her married life with him, but all the days of her life, she has been doing her husband good. Not, maybe she didn't even know who that husband was going to be, but she was becoming the woman that God wanted her to be as a wife, even at a young age. It's never too early to start learning those qualities that are going to be a blessing to perhaps a future husband. Never too early to start those things. All the days of her life, she has done him good. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. Okay, she seeks raw materials, okay, and she works with her hands. Okay, she's not afraid to use her gifts in her home. She has gifts, and she, she gets the good stuff. Wool and flax, those were not cheap things, okay? She gets the good stuff, the best stuff for her family, and she willingly works. And there is an underlying theme here in this picture of a woman who is not afraid to work hard. The home is not her place of rest. Ladies, we never leave the office. I always, you know, when you have those days where it's like, I feel like I haven't come away from the office until I finally put my head on the pillow and it's like, finally I'm in my space, my small space. (laughs) You know, you don't leave the office. Your husband leaves the office and he comes home to a wonderful, restful, blessed home. We don't ever leave the office. The home is our office. Okay? We don't put our feet up when we get home. That's where we roll our sleeves up. So she gets the best stuff, and she willingly works with her hands. She's like the merchant ships, and she brings her food from afar. Okay. Now this, to me, the underlying message here is that she's trying to provide the best in food for her family. Okay? She brings her food from afar. It doesn't necessarily mean that she went to the merchant ships and bought her food. Maybe she did. It really doesn't even matter. But again, she's willing to work for the best food for her family. And for me, what that has meant in my life is um, that first foundational work is I needed to teach myself about food a little bit because we live in a very deceptive world and not everything that you buy or that your kids are going to crave at the grocery store is what's best for them. So I want to encourage you to do your homework, okay? Know what you're feeding your kids, please, I beg you. Know what's in it. And yourselves, for that matter, we have way too many health issues that we need to be concerned about. Let's not make it worse by putting garbage in our mouths, okay? Know what you're feeding your kids. Know why it isn't good and give them the best that you can, okay? Um, Most of you know that we have a dairy cow. And when we, God called us to move to this farm, that was first order of business for us. Um, And just long story short, um, I've struggled with a lot of digestive um, problems in my life. Anyway, for years, hadn't drank milk or anything dairy and felt much better. Um, But I kind of got to a place in my life where I felt, God, what is wrong with some of these foods that you have provided for man and they're making us sick? They're just, it wasn't, it just wasn't... um, making sense to me. What is happening to it? So anyway, a deeper study into the milk that we buy at the store, processed milk and what it does to our bodies, turned a major light bulb on for me. And um, so I asked my husband, um, anyway, I learned about raw milk and some other 
important details about that raw milk. Um, and, um, and I thought that maybe I could drink that. And I knew it would be better for my kids. And so anyway, this particular raw milk that we wanted was in Kansas City on a farm. And um, I talked to my husband about it. And I said, um, I, it, it's, it, it's harder for me to put weight on than it is to take it off. I'm just going to, just because of some issues that I have. So whenever I come to my husband and I say, honey, I might be able to eat this. He's like, absolutely. I don't care where we have to go to get it. <laughs> so anyway, I said, I'd like to try this. Um, what do you think? And he was like, absolutely. So um, that kind of began a journey in our life where um, we, I literally drove to Kansas City every single week to get raw milk from my family. And then I had a some lovely ladies joined me <laughs> to do the same. And when God started pushing us out of the city and onto the farm, both J.D. and I were like, this is first. We don't want to have to buy that anymore. You know, God's going to allow us to do that now. And um, that's really important to us. That's one of the first things that we do every morning is we um, go out and get raw milk because we believe that that is what is truly best for our family. And that's just milk. I won't even go into all the other things. But um, you need to know what you're eating and what you're feeding your children, okay? Not everything that glitters is gold. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maid servants, okay? She, she has maid servants, but she's getting up and making the food. Again, this woman is a servant. She has a fabulous work ethic, okay? And regardless of the fact that she has maid servants who do things around her, she makes sure that they are well taken care of. Okay, she considers a field and buys it. And from her profits, she plants a vineyard. This is back to what we learned about wine. Okay, this would have been a very beneficial thing for her family to have a vineyard. Okay, instead of buying somebody else's high priced wine, which we want to drink because maybe our water isn't the best. I'm going to buy a field from some of her proceeds from the things that she makes. And I'm going to do it for my own family. Okay, I'm going to do it for my own family. And um, our family tries our very best to eat all organic um, for multiple reasons. Um, and um, it's expensive. I'm not going to lie to you. It's very expensive. And another reason why we're so blessed to be where we're at now, we can grow our own food. And like Carolyn said, those little seeds, they're not hard to get. They're tiny and they're cheap. And what you can grow from those tiny little seeds from very little money is phenomenal. Um, last year, I was able to store up enough vegetables um, from our garden for our whole family for the whole winter. And um, we saw it in our food budget, and I know we'll see it in our health too. So um, if you can do it for yourself, do it if you can. Um, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She's not afraid to work. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out at night. This merchandise, these things that she willingly works with her hands and makes, more than likely she could possibly sell, okay? Have maybe a small business from her home, okay? Or the things that she makes for her family or whatever it might be, she works through the night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. Again, that shows the things she's willing to do to make the very best for her family. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. Okay, so it's not the only place that she ministers. It's just the first place, okay? She does reach out to others, and that is important, but not to the neglect of her first ministry. She's not afraid of snow for her household. 
Oh, sorry, I read that wrong. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. Okay? Her family's prepared. Now, snow is a very minor um, situation that we want to be prepared for. Okay? But she understands the times, the seasons, and she's prepared her family for the hardship. Ladies, understand the times that we are in and the seasons that we are in, in this world, in scripture, and prepare your family. That is our duty, okay? Prepare your family. She makes tapestry for herself. She decorates her house. She makes it pretty, and it's a blessing to her for herself, okay? She'll do this because she loves to see that, okay? Um, It's beautiful for her. It gives her joy and her family too. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. She wears the good stuff. And it's not in pride. Obviously, she has made this. She sought out the raw material. She has either grown up with the gift or she figured out how to do it. And she makes her own clothing. She deserves to wear the best. She made it. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Okay, he's respectable. He has a respectable wife. And that helps people to respect him as well. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants, okay? So she does sell some of her things that she does, and that's okay. She was able to buy a field and plant a vineyard for her family. It's all about her family, though, okay? Her little business here is all about her family, okay? Is it going to be a blessing to my family? Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. That's the underlying theme here strength, and honor. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Okay, that's the only thing that we really see about what comes out of her mouth. Okay, it's wisdom and kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not lazy, not in the slightest bit. And there's nobody who's gonna, you know, there's no... um police out there who are going to police your homes you know that's up for you to gauge and up for you to um you know manage and do on your own um but i have found in my home that that is not a place where i can be lazy my husband takes me on vacations and then i can be lazy (laughs) um her children rise up and call her blessed her husband also, and he praises her. So um, she has the love of her children and her husband. And what more could we want? Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you so much, Father, for um, these words that you have given us, that we have reflected upon today, Father, that speak directly to us, to our minds and to our hearts. Father God, I just want to pray that you would keep your word in us, that you would allow your word to become who we are, that you would help us, Lord, to sanctify ourselves from this world and would you father sanctify us by your truth i pray father that we would um, 
be holy as you are holy. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you did for us to make yourself that beautiful example for us. I pray that our eyes will be fixed on you. Um, that is where we're going to be the women that you want us to be, when our eyes are fixed on you and not on the things of this world. Help us not to look to this world, Lord, for guidance in being the women that you want us to be, but help us to focus on you and to trust that your word, everything that pertains to life and godliness, is found here in your word. We pray that you would be glorified in the lives of all of these ladies, that you would bless them, Father God, that you would speak to their hearts as they seek you for wisdom and understanding. I pray, Father, that you would watch over their homes, their families, and their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.